If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to Joshua chapter 22. We are on the next to last sermon for the book of Joshua before we turn um, to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, that's going to be kind of our fall study. And um, as, as we do so, I am actually uh, want to really start in chapter tw- at the end of chapter 21 and then let it focus us for chapter 22. But just as a reminder, Jesus, Jesus said this in, in Matthew 12. He said that uh, if you want to know what a person's really like, listen. I mean, you can certainly watch what they do, but you also listen to what they say. And this is how he said that. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's Jesus, Matthew 12, 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 I mean, you, you think about that. You think about that in some of your key relationships. Now, they may try to hide it with just kidding or oh, I was just being sarcastic or whatever, but you know, out of the overflow of the heart, uh, the mouth speaks, especially in unguarded moments, unfiltered moments. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, you, know, you can see some of what is uh, you know, kind of written in on Facebook. Uh, you can certainly see this among uh, politicians these days. Anybody with me on that? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It tells us what's going on. If you want to know what's going on inside of a person, watch what they say, certainly, but also, uh, excuse me, watch what they do, certainly, but also listen to what they say. And so with that in mind, look at the very last verse of chapter 21, Joshua 21, verse 45. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. Not one word out of all of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Is that good news? Man, that's such good news. So listen, God then, what this tells us about God, if we're listening to him, he gives us, he says, not one word of all of these promises. And what kind of promises are they? What kind of promises did it say? They're good promises, okay? When God makes a promise, it's a good promise. And so um, all of these good promises, not one word of all these good promises. So God didn't just speak in some kind of amorphous or uh, innocuous way that didn't really help you understand. He made some very clear, uh, uh, very poignant statements, okay? And these are promises that he made to the people of Israel. And so what does that say? It says certainly that God's a good communicator, but it wasn't just that God was a good communicator. These are good promises. Not only did he say it, but the content of what he said, good promises. Man, this tells us something about his heart. What does it tell us? It tells us that when God says something, he's going to do it. When he promises something, you can bank on it. Um, When he says, this is the way this is going to go, that that is indeed the way it's going to go. What we're talking about here is that God is faithful. What What this verse, verse 45 of chapter 21, that all of the good promises that the Lord had made, that all of those came to pass just as he said they would, what that tells us about God is that he's faithful. And today, if you could walk away with kind of a single captured sentence, this is the sentence I would want to walk you away, uh, want you to walk away with, and that is, uh, God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful. God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful. That's the kind of thing over and over and over again you'll hear this morning. God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful. And so I want to break this down and talk about God's faithfulness first and then what it looks like for us to be faithful in our lives and in, this, in some specific areas in chapter 22 of, of what this, uh, you know, where this might play out. So the principle is God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful. First question is, what, what is faithfulness? What is faithfulness? And to put it in modern vernacular, and I don't know uh, if this is most helpful to you or not, it helps me think about this, is that you can always count on God. 
Count on God 100% of the time. Do you have people that you lean on or trust in or um, kind of hold on to? And, and man, you're, and they're good people. And like 99% of the time, they're exactly what you need. You know, there's that always that 1% where they fail you and you're like, oh, not again, you know. But I mean, but 99% of the time they're good. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's awesome to have people like that. God, God's like that 100% of the time. 100% of the time. Um, not, li- listen to what he says in verse 45, not one word. So how many of, uh, how many of his good promises failed? How many? Zero. Not, not one word of all the good promises that he made to the house of Israel, uh, not one of those failed. So everything he promised either had come true, is coming true, or will come true. That's, that's, that's God. So that's who we're talking about when we're talking about counting on God and counting on him 100%. Uh, <clears throat> I love the game of basketball. Some of you have heard me talk about this, um, uh, you know, my love for the game. During college, uh, you know, I didn't play uh, except intramurals, but one of the ways that I kept in the game was I refereed. It was a lot of fun for me, and it was good money for a college student. And so we'd drive to all these little bitty podunk towns all around, um, you know, where I went to school and stuff, all around central Texas. And, uh, you know, on occasion, being the referee, you would make some good calls, and then on occasion, there would be some other games where you made good calls, but the game didn't turn out like they wanted it to. Everybody with me on this? So I, I am meeting my um, co-official, Kevin. We're driving two cars because he's coming from one way, I'm coming from another, and we're meeting in Glen Rose, Texas. Glen Rose, anybody? Okay. We're meeting in Glen Rose, Texas, and um, it is a barn burner of a game. And uh, it, it comes down, and the home team ends up on the short end, and the coach and the players were utterly disturbed uh, that it went that way, so much so that as they passed the locker room where Kevin and I were getting dressed, there might have been some descriptive language about how they thought the game should have ended, and maybe some banging on a door and some other things that happened. And so Kevin and I are looking at one another going, it's a small town, we're in the middle of nowhere, let's get the heck out of here. And so as quick as we could, we're putting on street clothes, peeking out the door like, is anybody looking? You know, and then we go running, sprinting to the car, and we get to the car, and I get in, I get in my car first. Again, he had his car, so um, I'm headed back um, towards, towards uh, you know, Waco, where I uh, lived at the time. I'm headed back there and eight miles outside of Glen Rose. I'm like, my car is not acting right all of a sudden. And so I'm eight miles from nowhere, and the, the car is out of gas. That's what happened. We were so intent on getting out of town that, I mean, my car failed me miserably in that moment. And so I'm sitting there on the side of the road going, there was a mobile home with a light on about a mile or so back. All of a sudden, I hear dueling banjos in the background. You know what I mean? It was crazy out there. It was wild. And so I'm thinking, what am I going to do? This is back. I know this is hard for some of you younger folks to believe. This is back before cell phones and, you know, crazy stuff. Like, you know, the tires were actually made of stone. and I mean, it's all sorts of stuff like that. Red Flintstone, whatever. Uh, anyway, so I get out there, and thankfully, Kevin is a few minutes behind me. And so about four or five minutes later, he... I'm like, Kevin, help! And so we finally got that all sorted out. My car failed me in that moment. Only time, though. There's only been one time where I've run out of gas. 
Every other time, I have never come close. I mean, just never. No coasting into the gas, none of that stuff, man. I I just know, because that one time was enough. Listen to me, that car failed me in that moment. God has never failed us, like never. In fact, A.W. Pink was a pastor and an author and a theologian. This is what he said. Listen, he never forgets. God, listen, he never forgets. He never fails. He never falters, and he never forfeits his word. Isn't that good? So God, just to be clear, according to A.W. Pink here, he never forgets. And I know um, no wife could look down the road at her husband and accuse make an accusation this way, of saying something and then forgetting that you said it, right? I'm a, no husband has ever forgotten a promise in here, right, that they were going to do something. I'm just making sure. But just in case, uh, you know, I might have done that before. God's never done that. He's never had a, oh, yeah, moment. Never forgets. He never fails. Thus, this, the text says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to Israel, to the house of Israel, fails. Not one word. Everything that he ever has promised has come true. He never falters. There was never stumbling. He never ran out of gas on the side of the road eight miles from nowhere after a fairly contentious basketball game. I mean, he never falters. There's no stumbling at all in him. And he never forfeits. He's not going to turn it over to somebody else and go, here, you take this. He never forfeits his word. He never forgets. He never fails. He never falters. And he never forfeits. He is 100% all the time. You can count on him 100%. Now, the, the question comes following, well, uh, you know, I'm looking at my circumstances, and it doesn't seem like God's very faithful in this moment. I, I don't feel like God uh, is being faithful and I just want to tell you this, and then maybe try to put some uh, flesh on this, but you know, my circumstances, whatever they might be, good, bad, indifferent, up, down, black, white, solid, shaky, my circumstances don't affect God's character, ever. There's not a moment where some circumstantial thing has happened in my life, and God's going, oh, I, I need to change, I need to do things. Why? Because God's perfect. And he's perfectly faithful to you and to me. And oftentimes, and I want to be very pastoral here and clear as can be, but, but I do want to you know, push us a little bit. Um, oftentimes when I feel like God's not being faithful to me, one of two things is true. One, uh, I got the wrong timetable. Has anybody ever noticed God is rarely early? Now he's never late, thankfully. Amen to that. He's never late, but he's rarely early. Why? Because he, he knows that the waiting process is a transformational process inside you and me. And oftentimes before he delivers whatever he's delivering to you, before he fulfills whatever he's fulfilling for you, he's wanting us to wait so that we'll grow and have the capacity to hold everything that he wants to give us. He's rarely, I mean, rarely early, but he's, he's always on time. He's never late. And so in, in this way, uh, you know, my, if my timetable is messed up, that, that's one place where I feel like God's not being faithful uh, and if, if, I have the, if I'm on the wrong timetable, or excuse me, if I'm not on the wrong timetable, uh, then I may, not be, I may not be hanging on to the right word. I may be holding on to the wrong word. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. 
Um, sometimes we, we take God's word and we say, oh, this is what I'm going to hold on to and hold on to and hold on to. And sometimes that's exactly right. But sometimes we're grasping for something or trying to hold on, and it's not really um, what God is promising to us. And I'll, again, a couple of just brief examples. The book of Proverbs is a, is a book of sayings of the wise, meaning these are the ways that things normally go, right? You do this, and this is kind of the outcome. This is the way that life generally works. Not always. These are Proverbs. They're not promises. Okay, so you've got the book of Job that you read right alongside the book of Proverbs to help us understand it all. But, but I'll just give you a couple of examples. We love this verse in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and what's going to happen? You know the rest of the verse? He's going to make your paths straight. So here's a question. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've been trusting the Lord leaning on him and not on your own understanding and acknowledging him in every way and still your path is not straight. In fact, it's rather crooked or windy or mountainous or stormy. God, hello. The book of Proverbs is about that saying, hey, listen, this is normally the way this works. Life does go better when we trust God. Do you believe that? Hello? Okay, thank you. So life does go better, but sometimes God intentionally takes us on a winding path because he's wanting to teach us something along the way. Or he's working out something in some other set of circumstances so that when we get there, it's the right thing for us. Here's another one from the book of Proverbs. Train up a child in the way you should go, and in the end, he won't depart from it. People hold on to that like it's a promise. It's a proverb. Sometimes, and in general, let's say it this way, in general, um, raising kids the right way ends up you know, they turn out to be good kids. They turn out to be good adults. Sometimes they go out to college and do dumb things. Is that the parents' fault? No, that's, that's your 19-year-old's fault. They're 19 for the love. They make their own decisions. So, you, I mean, you don't bear the guilt of that or have to walk around with shame for that. I mean, this is, this is them being adults and making dumb decisions. So, Proverbs, again, we're either, sometimes we hold on to those like they're promises when really they're Proverbs. This is the way the, the world normally works. And so either a misunderstanding of God's timetable or a misunderstanding of his word, that's where we tend to have this kind of feeling like God's not being faithful. In Israel's case, um, it took a long time to conquer the promised land, longer than they thought. They thought they were just going to go in like a bulldozer and everything was going to be done out ahead of them. But man, they were engaged and they had to fight and they had to do this. And, you know, four or five years kind of depending upon which uh, technical expert you, you ask and, and, and read. I mean, you know, this took a while to really get this thing done and get this, get this place occupied. I mean, that's, that's a while. That's a, that's a deal right there. I mean, that's, a, that's an effort. The timetable was off. And secondly, it was harder than they thought. Again, they thought everything was going to be done for them. Like hit Jericho, the walls just come down. But, I mean, they, they fought. There was a, at least one point where they lost at AI, and then they had to go in and fix that and deal with all that stuff. And then there were other things along the way, and there was some internal strife at points, and it was just harder than they thought. If you feel like, if you feel like, hey, I don't feel like God's being faithful. Just know that it may be the timetable or uh, it may be you're holding on to the wrong word. And then in Joshua's case, in the people of Israel's case, it was a timetable issue and it, was, it, took, it, was, it took longer and it was harder than they expected. Lastly, because we're New Testament people, I'll just point to you on this, what is faithfulness fit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and this is what he says. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. 
For all the promises of God, how many? All of them. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Jesus uh, is the guarantee of God's promises to us. And Paul, he does this in about four or five places in the New Testament. He essentially argues this. If God said he was going to send Jesus, and he sent Jesus, and if God said Jesus was going to die, and he died, and if God said Jesus was going to come back from the dead, and he came back from the dead, then you can trust him for all the other promises too. If God did that mega thing, that magnificent thing, that amazing thing, if he did this huge thing, you can trust him for all the small stuff too. Thus, all the promises of God to us are yes in him. They are. Jesus is the guarantee of God's promises um, to you and to me as New Testament people. So what is faithfulness? Faithfulness means that we can count on him. But again, it's God's faithfulness that frees us to be faithful. So what then does it look like when you and I are faithful? When we are freed to be faithful, what does that look like? In chapter 22, if you will, look at verse 5. It says, only be very careful. How careful? Very careful. Be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. What does faithfulness look like? When, when God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful and this takes root in our life, what does that look like? Three attributes here from verse 5. Number one, it looks like allegiance to God. Look back at these words here. Look back at these words. Only be very careful to observe. I'm going to see what God is saying. Observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God. Here we go. And to walk in all his ways. So I'm not just going to see them. I'm going to actually live them out and to keep them. And I'm going to stay at it and stay at it and stay at it. There's an allegiance to God. It is easy in the world that we're living in to understand, uh, or to, excuse me, to, to get kind of sidetracked and, and, and uh, begin to misunderstand what God's saying. But listen, it, it's pretty clear in his word about some of the things that he wants us to do. The world would say, this is the way to live your life. And God says, actually, this is the way to live your life. And that in that moment, if faithfulness is taking root in your life, you're looking at the world going, gosh, that looks nice, but this is what God said, and so this is what I'm going to do. The world says, this is the path that you need to walk down. And God says, no, 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 not this path, this path over here. And you say, that path looks nice. This is the way, though, that I need to go because my allegiance belongs to God. This is what you need to believe about this issue. God says, no, 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 this is the truth about the issue. And so you look and go, eh, I mean, it makes sense, but this is what God says, and so this is what I am going to believe. My allegiance belongs to God. And so whenever I'm tested, whenever I'm tried, whenever I'm tempted in some way, I say my allegiance belongs to God and that is the way that I'm going. This is what faithfulness looks like. I'm going to observe what he says. I'm going to walk in his ways and I'm going to keep his commandments. That's allegiance to God. And listen, you'll be tested this week just because we talked about it. You're welcome. You will. And just remember my allegiance belongs to God. Second thing, I love this, at the end of verse 5 there, towards the end here, uh, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, here we go, and cling to him. You see that? And cling to him. There are occasions when um, you know, we're walking in from the car or we're walking into a store or something like that, and my four-year-old will be on this arm, and of course you're carrying stuff and a bag and this and that, and you're basically a 
you know, human Jenga set. If something pulls out, the whole thing goes, you know, something like that. And then you go, okay, so I need to set you down, honey. And you go to do like this. And all of a sudden she turns from four-year-old human into orangutan, right? Like full on arms, legs, like she went three-toed sloth on me, just hanging on. You're like, you're upside down. How is this possible? I don't want to be dead. And you're like, you've got to let go. I've got to put you down. And she, no, I'm not letting that. Don't put me down. You know, and what, what is she doing? She's clinging. Because she wants to be in the arms of her father. And this is what we're talking about. When it says allegiance to God, observe his, observe his commandments, see them, see them, and keep them, and walk in them. That's allegiance. But you're not just going to dutifully soldier off to do this. You're doing this alongside and with your dad, and so you get to cling to him. There's an intimacy with God that faithfulness also produces. When God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful, not only is our allegiance to God, but we have intimacy with him because we want to be with him. We want to be with him. There's this clinging, this connection, this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to you, and I'm not going to let go. And lastly, there's service of God. Look at the very last phrase, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And so this service of God, this is, this is an amazing thing. I mean, I just think this is incredible. When you and I step out and we get to serve and, you know, tomorrow night when we gather here and these students and their families are here from Wedgwood and some of you are going to be able to come up and help and, and participate in this back to school thing. You're going to, I mean, this will be an incredible thing. You get to be the hands and feet of God to these people. Isn't that amazing? So when you serve him with all of your heart and you may be cooking, you may be setting up tables, you may be doing something, you will get to be the hands and feet of God to these people. And then if that's not enough, Jesus said, when you do these things to the least of these, who do you do them to? Do you know this passage in Matthew 25? If you do it to the least of these, you do it to me, Jesus said. So we not only get to be the hands and feet of God to these people, we actually get to be the hands and feet of God to God because we're serving him. We're serving alongside him and with him and in his power, and we're serving him as well. So, I mean, it's a double win for all of us here. So when faithfulness, when we, when God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful, this looks like an allegiance to God. It looks like intimacy, clinging to God, and it looks like service of God. We get to do what he says and do it for his sake. This is an amazing thing. Now, pastorally, I was thinking about this this week because I had a couple of conversations. People come to the crossroads here. They're like... I mean, do I take path A? Do I take path B? And I was thinking about that in light of this thing. Here's what I would say pastorally, and you just think about this. If you're at a crossroads in your life or you're trying to make this decision, do I go this way? Do I go this way? It might be worthwhile to ask these questions. What would allegiance to God look like in this moment? What would stoke intimacy with God in this moment? And, and what would give the greater opportunity for service of God? in this moment, to choose this way or to choose that way? Which one? Maybe that's a helpful thing for somebody, but pastorally, man, as, faith, as God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful, and these things take root in our life, allegiance to God and intimacy with God and the service of God, when these things take root in our life, and that can help us actually in some of the practical things like decision-making. Lastly, lastly, if God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful, um, in what areas then does this begin to 
happen? Like, where would we see this? If I'm looking around, where would we see this? Um, chapter 22 mentions three. There's probably 50, but you get three in chapter 22. You're like, oh, good. Not 50. It's great. Um, so start in verse 1. <clears throat> These three areas we're free to be faithful in. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Just pause. Remember, these are the folks on the east side of the Jordan, all those east side people. Uh, you know, this is them, those two and a half tribes, okay? Uh, Joshua summoned these folks, verse 2, and they said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and, I, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Now remember what happened was Reuben and Gad, uh, those two tribes and half half of the tribe of Manasseh, um, they they were like, hey, we've got sheep and other livestock and stuff. This is actually good land for us right here. And they're like, hey, listen, you can keep this land, but you got to come with us and fight. They're like, we're in. We're in. Let's, let's do that. So for four or five years, they did. They got out there and they fought. And Joshua's saying, you've done this. Verse 4, and now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Here's our verse. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went away to their tents. We're free to be faithful. God's faithfulness frees us to be faithful, and one of the areas that that happens is in the changing nature, uh, uh, changing stages of relationship. As we step into new stages of relationship, like these folks did right here, um, we can be freed to be faithful um, to what God has promised. And I'll just explain this in Joshua terms here. Joshua could have said, hey, listen, thanks so much for your service, but I mean, these guys could come back at any time. Y'all just need to stay here with us and fight with us and fight with us. Well, how much longer do we need to stay? Well, a little while longer. Well, how much longer? Well, a little while longer. You know, it's kind of like dad, are we there yet? Around the next corner, son, you know, that kind of thing. Just a little while longer, just a little while longer. Joshua's fear could have uh, driven his leadership at that point. And the insecurity that he felt about all the tribes being spread out, he could have, he could have, um, just it could have fed and, and, and that, that would have uh, fed his some very, very poor leadership. But instead, because he was freed to be faithful, he said, you fulfilled your word and now I'm fulfilling my word. You've done what uh, you said you were going to do and now I am doing what I said I was going to do. Um, Joshua's fear could have kept him there, but instead of fearing, Joshua's hope was in God. Hey, God's taken us this far. He can take care of us if those guys do indeed come back. And so what did he do? He sent them off with a blessing with a blessing. Some of you are in changing stages of relationships. Um, Get ready to send a kid off to college. Get ready to put a kid in high school. Um, The nature of your marriage right now is, you know, kind of changing because of this circumstance or that circumstance or because of this person or that person or this dynamic or that change or whatever it is. You're in a changing stage of relationship. And the question that comes along to you and to me, those who are in these kind of transition moments between this stage and that stage is, do I live based upon fear or do I live based upon faith? Is my hope in God or is is my hope in my ability to to control everything? In the changing nature of relationship, the changing stages, that transition from one stage to the other, um, we can trust God. We are freed to be faithful in that moment. 
The second place where you see this, we are free to be faithful, starts in verse 7. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. So Manasseh was cut in half by the Jordan. He kind of had half tribe on one side, half tribe on the other. Verse 8. So he said to them, oh, excuse me, and when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said, go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver and gold and bronze and iron and, which, and with much clothing. Don't miss this part. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers, those who didn't come to fight for any number of reasons. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. The second place or area in which we're free to be faithful is the area of generosity. I mean, Joshua says to these folks, hey, listen, um, go back and take all of this spoil with you, and when you get there, right, hide it all. Don't let anybody know that you're that rich. Now, what did he say? Share it with everybody. Share it with everybody. They were to share their wealth with those who hadn't even fought, and people come along like, why in the world would this be the case? Why would you do this? Well, because here's what Joshua knew, and he was trying to communicate, and it's a good lesson for suburbanites who might struggle with materialism. God owns everything, not you and me. God does. God owns everything. And because God owns everything, you were sharing, in Joshua's case, these folks, they were sharing his wealth, not their own wealth. See, they, they were free to be generous because they were sharing his wealth. The fear that, that um, uh, pushes back on generosity is, well, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough. I'm not sure that this is gonna, I'm going to be taken care of, that kind of thing. Listen, and, and Joshua would say, hey, God, God provided you all this gold, all this clothing, all this silver, all this iron, all this bronze. God did these things. You didn't do these things. So you could be free to share. God's taken care of you this far. Guess what? He'll take care of you the rest of the way too. You can be free to be generous with those around you. Around here is a church family. Um, you know that we talk about tithes and offering tithes being 10% of your earned income given to the local church. We encourage that as the kind of the floor, if you will, not the ceiling, but the floor, the place where you kind of get started in, in generosity and in fighting off materialism. Offerings are the things over and above that that are just burning in your heart um, to give <clears throat> because you want to you know, help a kid get to a mission trip or, or help somebody uh, adopt a child or whatever, just things that are burning in your heart. And God uses that generosity of folks like you um, uh, to fund the ministries of the church. And so tomorrow night when we have people here and you're going to feed them and all that kind of stuff, the reason we will have that capacity is because folks like you were generous. And so I just say, let's be generous people. Let's be free to be faithful in this area of generosity. Oh, here you are talking about money. It's not just money though. Like that would be easy if it were just money because God also wants you to be generous with your time. Anybody ever had this conversation with somebody? Guilty, right here. You're talking to somebody like this, and you're talking to them, and they're constantly going. Like that? Always looking around you, seeing what's going on, like they got conversational ADD or something, you know? And you never feel like they're fully there? God wants you in that moment to be right there, to be generous with your time. Eyeball to eyeball. Or this one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, what? God wants you to be right there, to be fully there. Right there. 
How about generous with your forgiveness? Oh, oh, oh. Go back to talking about money. No, 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 really. Forgiveness is that thing that we, that gift that we get to give to others. Why? Because God's given it in an abundance to us, in an eternal amount to us. And we get to extend it in a temporal way, a temporary way even. Until, well, don't, don't you think that they ought to be punished for their thing? Listen, God's way better at that than you are. You can extend forgiveness because God can handle the rest. He can't. Generous with your money, certainly, but generous with your time, generous with your forgiveness, and generous with your help or service. Places where you get an opportunity to step out into, in God's power, be his hands and feet to somebody who needs it. And listen to me, I promise you this, just like you're going to be tested with an allegiance issue this week, I promise you, you will have an opportunity to step out in service this week that you would not have maybe identified or thought about earlier because we're talking about it today. Generous with your service. Generous with your help. Is it inconvenient? Yes. Yes. Still worthwhile. Generous. Generosity. Not just with your money. Yes, with your money, but not just with your money. Also with your time and forgiveness and your service towards others. Uh, Again, the fear is, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough. I'm not sure God's going to take care of me. If God's taking care of you this far... He'll take care of you the rest of the way. Last thing, uh, we are free to be faithful in the changing stages of relationships, in generosity, and we're free to be faithful when tough situations come. The rest of chapter 22 is a pretty tough deal. Um, Reuben and Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, go back. I'll just summarize. They go back to their land, and before they cross the Jordan, they build a monster, a huge altar, and they call it the altar of witness. I mean, and the Hebrew literally says, you could see it for a while. I mean, like, this is a big thing. You could see this sucker. Huge altar. Only problem is in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God said, don't build another altar that you sacrifice on. Hmm. So the people of Israel, the rest of the, uh, the other nine and a half tribes, they, they hear about this and they, they rally together and like, listen, we've done this sin in the camp thing before. This is not a good thing. Uh, we need to go address this, and we need to go address this now. So they send Phineas, the priest, and a few others to go talk to him. And um, just give you a, a brief summary here of what happened. Look at verse 10. Uh, they came, when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it. Listen to their words. Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan. Here we go, listen. On the side that belongs to the people of Israel. Wait, were Reuben and Gad not part of the people of Israel? So why are you saying it's on the side of the people of Israel? You see, this is a tough situation. Why? Because Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh who were on the east side, they, they, were feel, they were feeling, and rightly so, they were feeling excluded. Right? Well, those people are on the east side. It's like those of us who live on the west side of 45 talk about the people on the east side of 45. It's like that a little bit. They were feeling excluded. 
And so Phineas, in this case, because they were feeling excluded, they acted accordingly. Now, they didn't break God's law because they didn't actually sacrifice on the altar. They just called it the altar of witness. They'll come along and say, we built this for this reason in just a second. Phineas and the rest of the folks, they reacted accordingly. And so they were going to deal very severely with sin. Look down at verse 16 quickly. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you've committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor? This is when they worship Baal. The sin of Peor there, um, uh, from which we have not even yet cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he is going to, he will be angry with the entire congregation, with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass, listen to this, pass over into the Lord's land. They're feeling excluded, right? Pass over into the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands. And take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah break faith in the matter of devoted things and wrath fell upon the whole congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone in his iniquity? So Reuben and Gad, they acted out of their fear of being excluded. Phineas and the rest of the congregation acted out of their fear of wrath coming down, right? And so you've got this really tough situation. Nobody in here has a tough situation in your relationships, right? Where you've got some people acting on one fear and some people reacting to that fear on another fear. Nobody has anything like that. You couldn't put your finger on anything like that, right? If you ever encounter it, just know that Joshua wrote this chapter here and it might be for you. And in doing so, there were two things here, two good habits, if you will. I just want to point them out. The first one is to listen before you act. That's what happened in verse 13. Then the people of Israel sent the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe Manasseh in the land of Gilead. They sent him Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and some others. So they went to listen. Hey, listen, this is what we've heard. Is that true? It's a good thing. That's a good thing to listen before you act. They didn't just show up with a war party. They showed up to go, hey, listen, this is what we've heard. That's a good habit uh, when you're in a tough situation. You're free to be faithful by listening before acting. And secondly, you're also free to be faithful by owning your part. The fear of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh caused them to build this altar of witness. The fear of Phineas and the rest of them were, uh, caused them to go and to be ready to make war. Listen to how they explained it. Uh, verse 21, and then we're going to finish. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of these families, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows. And let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in a breach of faith against the Lord, don't spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. If we did, or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? They were fearing this exclusion. And so um, they owned their part. Hey, we brought fear to the table. They owned their part. This is my issue. We had fear. Phineas and them, they hear this explanation and they go, oh, we see that. 
Okay, all right. So they're going to go back to the people, to the rest of the tribes and go, hey, listen, this is going to be an okay thing. They own their part too. And in, in these tough situations, when you are free to be faithful, you're free to listen before you act, which is always a good skill. But secondly, you're also uh, free to own your part in that. There's a reason the people of Reuben and Gad felt excluded. Because they kept hearing language like, well, this is the land of Israel, and that's not. Uh, we're from the west side. You're from the east. We worship like this, and you worship like this. We're free to be faithful, to own our part. God calls us to obedience, church family. Listen, and sometimes as we're working this out and following God and trying to do this, what happens? We fail. Anybody? Every, everybody. We fail. So not only are we free to be faithful, but we're also free to come to God when we fail and say, God, here I am with all my sin again. Here I am. I've done this again. Here I am. I've failed again. Here again. I've stumbled. Here I am, God. And 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sin, he is what? He is faithful. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we can come to God, and God, we're, here we are. We're a failure. Just like Abby said on the video, I just knew that there was sin in my life and I didn't know what to do with that. What do we do? We come to God. Why? Because he's faithful. And when we fail, we are faithful to not to run from him, but to run to him to say, God, I've messed up and here is my mess up and I'm just counting on you to be a forgiving God to me. And you know what he's going to say? I forgive you because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. If you're here this morning, maybe you've got some struggles or darkness or stuff in your life, cycles or addictions or whatever, the best thing you could do is come to God and say, God, here's my stuff. Would you help me with it? Maybe you need some space, some sacred space to just let, I mean, to do that business with God and let God kind of work you over a little bit. We're going to have that time here in just a moment. And if you're here this morning and you've never received forgiveness for sins, man, today can be the day that God changes your life, that you go from being um, outside uh, and, and, and disconnected from God to being a son of God or a daughter of God and in relationship with him. God can forgive your sins today. He can. He's in that business. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to um, ask God to continue to speak to you, and we'll have a song of response, and then we'll take up our offering in just a moment. Let's pray.